0: Good morning. Welcome to The Old School, a podcast about the American education system. We are primed, ready to go after a couple weeks vacation and one week for deathly illness. And we're finally back at the helm, back at the microphone. Good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois.
1: Hello, Herr Miller. Good to hear you, see you, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Now you had the Zika virus, is that right?
1: um i don't know what what it's some something exotic um well you were
0: you were in the caribbean you know
1: well it was in a boat that went through the caribbean so i guess i guess so i i made it to land once but i don't know if it was in the caribbean or the gulf of florida is there a gulf of florida
0: sure why not let's go with that yeah
1: yeah i took a florida cruise and picked up something. I believe it was I picked up one thing on the boat or ship, whatever you call it, and one other thing on the airplane and they interacted to form this exotic virus. That's what I think.
0: Is that what you're telling yourself?
1: Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, who says you can't have two things at once, Ross? Well, I certainly am not going to be so
0: bold as to make that claim, but uh, it it appears, however, that you were on a seagoing vessel of the damned And just surrounded by disease, a a veritable petri dish floating upon the waves of water. And uh, it's a miracle you got out alive.
1: I think so. Um, I think there was fun that was had, but um, a lot of work to get there. Uh,
0: Now, were you sick while you were on the boat or were you sick after you got off the boat?
1: Well, I I suffered from seasickness. I've never experienced that. Um, I've been on boats before but this was pretty rough waters and it'll get your attention mm-hmm. um our stateroom was in the aft which means it's moving around a lot and bouncing around but it was it was a, a combination of uh, being surrounded by a lot of people um not liking small spaces and then jump bouncing up and down so it was tough for <laughs> about a definitely a full day that first oh, yeah. day and a little bit the next morning it was a bit rugged i mean i was not a lot of fun i'm just sort of sitting there in a catatonic state waiting for the uh, and then I, the idea came it's flickering that i could take a pill or two and lo and behold my mood changed
0: and now, did they also offer the patch that you wear behind your ear
1: Oh, that's for wimps. Uh, okay,
0: wimps or... <laughs> no, so you're I, already I, in need. You might as well just go ahead and you know just get it.
1: Yeah, I just I usually push through things. Sort of like this sickness now. Uh, I eschew medication. Yeah. But, um, no, you're, you're not. You're not going to let big farm
0: take advantage <laughs> of you. You're not going to succumb to those uh, those dubious claims of theirs.
1: No, um, I don't trust people uh, anyway, actually. These <laughs> <laughs> mighty.
0: Well, here we are. Um, the spring semester has begun. Uh, we are uh, now starting the countdown towards, you know, the AP exam where kids will start getting serious, although not really, and then... Um, and then you have the AP exam. Uh, well, here's how it goes. It typically goes fairly quick through no, January. At, you know, before you know it, you're into February, and then February is the shortest month, and that is that is mixed in with a, kind of an extended weekend somewhere in there. Then you get into March, and then you have spring break, and then by the time you get to spring break, you've already started prepping for the final the AP exam. Then before you know, the AP exam is there. Then you have maybe a week and a half, maybe two tops before you get the final exams. And then you're out the door.
1: That's what we're looking at. That's it. They, (laughs) they kill a few Frenchmen. We kill a few few Russians. And the next thing you know, it's Easter. It's Easter. Yes. (laughs) For me though, it's like, uh,
0: it's just the, you know, you know, I, I got a bunch of other stuff I got going on. You know, we we got a trip to Italy in the summer, uh, that precedes an exchange trip with kiddos to the, to Germany, and uh, right now looking for flight information, try to find a decent flight. You wouldn't believe how many people have a strategy on how to get or how to find cheap flights.
1: Well, I told you the other day, and I was probably giving you the best advice. Advice. Well, I will tell you,
0: I've tried it twice, no, three times. And there's been no appreciable difference.
1: Well, the now, know, it's a, but. well, sometimes buying tickets right before you leave is a real stupid idea. Well, um, I would never
0: do that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: gonna you wait and take your chances. Um, but usually that goes so badly that you wonder who gave you that advice. So here's
0: here. Here's here's the ideas I've heard. I've heard look for tickets at one in the morning, which who does that? But I guess you're not some, even up then, you you go to bed at like eight. That's why I told my wife to do it. She's up trolling Facebook, whatever she's doing up in the wee hours in the morning.
1: Oh my god! Then I heard that <coughs> you're all right. Um, I'm uh, yeah, I don't know where the little <laughs> mute button is here. Um, do we have it? Oh cool. no, <laughs> oh yeah, we just hit the mute just, button or just so don't cough in the microphone. No, so no, go off to the you side.
0: You know, you know how, you know how to this, turn to the side and cough, you know, just turn to the side and, <laughs> and cough.
1: You just hit the mute button. I got you're, it now. I, older I, I was searching elsewhere. I was searching on Facebook while you were talking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, someone told me to look on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Then someone told me to do the incognito thing, which is your idea. Um, and, I don't want to know how you know about incognito, but whatever. And then oh, they
1: don't store your 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 searches, meaning that they don't because the prices go up just like you know how you get those ads when you, yes. even if you talk about something like I'd like to go to a day spa. Hey, that sounds fun. And then you open up your email and there's a bunch of ads <laughs> for day spas. Uh, yeah, the people in the airplane they're they're listening as well. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the latest. The latest says that by midweek
0: this week. People should start seeing a drop in prices. That's the word on are, the street. Who are they? Who's telling you this? The same people that told me incognito and two o'clock in the morning and this Tuesday okay. and Wednesday.
1: It's the same crowd. So do it all. Get up at two in the morning on Tuesday. And incognito. <laughs> <Do the incognito>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Maybe it's the time to do it. It's like it's a it's a perfect storm, but um. One of the things I wanted to talk about, if you're ready to move on from this pointless banter.
1: I was waiting. It was kind of dragging on. Um, Eh, It was not dragging on. Okay. Um, People were
0: riveted. By the way, if anybody has ideas, you can't leave a comment (laughs) because we don't have
1: the comment thing. No, we don't listen to people.
0: No. So, But anyway, so I was watching television, as I want to do from time to time. And I saw this interview with uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And a rather nondescript politician that I'm sad to say I don't remember who he was. But the two of them were espousing the need for and bemoaning the state of civics education. Uh, Do you recall what civics education was like for you in high school? I know it's been a long time.
1: Um, where we football players wore leather
0: helmets, and yeah, so it wasn't
1: that bad. It was in the late seventies, and no, I don't remember studying anything related to civics. I studied music. I had like four or five classes of music every day out of six periods, and something like that. I had German and math, and then music the rest of the day. It was pretty open back then. It was a better so era. clearly.
0: Clearly, your counselor was not looking out for your best interest.
1: Civics? I don't. I don't know if they had a class. I mean, and they had something called social studies that we took in. Um, I think seventh grade, maybe eighth grade too, or something. But sure. like it was more map making. We would draw maps of Maryland and try to find <laughs> <laughs> whatever is in whatever the hell is in Maryland. They they teach civics in Maryland, don't they? They do teach civics in Maryland because Maryland's a god
0: is a god fearing place. It's god fearing people.
1: Well, Some place true blue. Heart. Heart. Yeah, some some don't. Um, Those but, are the um, people on the wire
0: that are not the true blue Americans. No, and speaking so, of so places me, that don't have anything going on, do you really want to dive into Oregon?
1: I don't want to talk about Oregon. Um, of I wouldn't either. No, I mean, because <laughs> you, you, you're about to bash them for being very open in their thinking, and, <laughs> and you would assume that they don't teach anything there. Uh, which is not the case, and so you're gonna be going with little information bashing my home state. i was
0: my first question that. to you is did you yeah. do you recall your civics education and you said no
1: no well i re- I remember very little. I'm freaking old but I, <laughs> I, I remember social studies because um i I could get extra credit by making maps of Maryland and uh, the thing is, is that I think a lot of
0: people assume that civics is taught because it's taught as a byproduct of all of the other social studies classes. But that's simply not the case. I mean, c- civics is a much more purposeful sort of thing. I think the class that is most uh, most closely related to, did you
1: just pass out? Oh, I'm just sitting here minding my okay. own business here. Okay. I'm drinking a cup of coffee and I slammed it down near the mic. Um, but you're I, was so sure, I was
0: making sure you're still,
1: still awake. I'm, not, I'm just gonna hit mute for the rest of the episode.
0: <laughs> but they uh, but I think that I think the class that most closely resembles what civics might be is government. Now government ostensibly the job is to describe the governmental system you know, that sort of thing. But I think civics, as I understand it, has a a much more of an activist type of bent to it. It's more than just knowing that the three branches of government are legislative, judicial, and executive. It is to know how you interact with them. It's to know how do you uh, press for your concerns? How do you seek out opportunities to, uh, Maybe to promote the things that you care about. And, you know, it's a little bit further than just the kind of the state static kind of exercise of just reading a book about the three branches of government. Now, I want to set aside what uh, Justice Sotomayor and the other guy, who I can't remember, was talking about, because part of their option, part of their answer was basically a computer program game where the kid works through a game to figure out not
1: gonna solve it? Well, okay, um,
0: yeah, okay, we can set that aside because that's a different. That's a different. No, topic. that gets
1: me riled up. <laughs> You're talking about the the citizenship test for people who are naturalized American citizens.
0: No, that's something different. What I'm talking yeah. about is the idea of them. They wanted to promote this civics uh, civics initiative that had at its core one is geared towards high school kids it's geared it's geared towards also middle school kids but that the idea behind it was to teach kids how the government works what the different functions are so forth and so on this is citizenship test for incoming uh, people that's a separate thing and usually that test is a combination of civics and history and right God knows what else. I used to tutor
1: folks to take that oh, test, but good, good, good business to be in now. Nobody knows anything about it. No, <laughs> uh, it could be, it could be your thing, Herr Miller. But the
0: question is, is whether um, I mean, this we we're going to flirt with the political in this episode. But I think the question oh, is, is that oh, oh, no, listen, listen, listen. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Step off the ledge.
1: <laughs> like the question recovering. is. What was that? I'm, like, recovering from this this incredible disease. Now you want to talk politics. <laughs> it's okay. going to be fine. It's going to be After watch, be okay. watching it in action for the last week. Uh, okay. Don't you have a support animal or something you can hold on to while we do this? Well, you were working for a living and not forced to watch all those 15 votes. Um, yeah. Well,
0: anyway, so the I'm, question sorry. is, is that – You look at the kind of the current system and the current system is plagued by a bunch of problems, not least of which is the fact that people don't really understand how the government works. And so case in point. So one of the things that I talk to my students all the time or a student will invariably bring this up is that they in their mind, the government doesn't work. And people have been having a field day with it lately because of the, the machinations that was required before. Uh, Mr. McCarthy was named Speaker of the House. But I told the students that the government was not designed to work, and it certainly was not designed to work quickly, that the whole point of government is a deliberative one. It's a contemplative one. It is a one that is made up of compromises. It's one that's made up of agreements. It's one that's made up of shared sacrifice and uh, shared uh, promotion of interests to get to some sort of conclusion. But it does not appear that many Americans kind of understand how that works. For example, you know, the, the, the things that have been happening over the last day, a couple of days, for Mr. McCarthy to be named Speaker of the House, it, it's been 15 different votes before that guy got a chance to become Speaker of the House. Now, some people would look at that as being potentially chaotic and embarrassing, and there were certainly embarrassing elements to it. But you could also say that there might be something to the idea that we had an honest-to-goodness, knock-down, drag-out conversation about who and how things should be done and led. It doesn't matter what the party is. And so there are definitely needs that need to be addressed with regards to civics education. The question is, what do you see as the obstacles to it?
1: as far as actually teaching it in, in schools yes um well i i, I do I, i've assessed this idea of parents and their they support the idea of teaching civics in school um my research and this had, had over 1600 parents 72 percent supported that civics should play a significant role in their school and 28% a minimum role. So not as overwhelming as I would have expected. But, but so parents want it um, for the most part. Um, but at the same time, um only 65% of parents in my survey said we did a good job teaching civics. So they so I think the people want it in general. I think if you presented it to groups of parents, they're gonna say, of course, but then uh, very quickly, it's going to turn into what what civics we've gotten into this political age that it becomes. I mean, it's it's one of those words almost um, that that gets people uh, divided, you know, even, which is silly. But but even just saying we're going to teach civics and they're going to say, okay, what type of civics? You know, what political event is it going to be? Um, so uh, it, it's almost like the atmosphere, as much as it's needed, it's it, it's how can you teach it without getting controversial? It's less like us trying to have a conversation now. We have to bring up what's happening in the world. Um, so, are are there teachers out there who could pull it off today? Be- I think. Besides, definitely I mean, besides just teaching names and dates and the branches of government and right. uh, things like that, but actually, it should be a conversation because the idea of civics is also how to, as you said, not not just to be aware of things, but how do you practice civics and be civil and know about how to access the government and be be a part of the conversation?
0: I think I think there are people out there who could do it. I think there are plenty of examples of people who do it poorly or do it with seemingly no understanding about how to do it. Um you know there's a when you talk about politics and when you talk about the US government, I think that there tends to be two threats to it as far as people who do it poorly. One is, is, is the individual who, uh, who who teaches it with some sort of political, you know, axe to grind. And then there are those who teach it from kind of a cynical point of view against this, this, this type of kind of uh, an attitude that harkens back to an earlier day where we had faith and trust in our government and institutions and so you have those who teach it as if well, but um, but but there there are those who who teach it um, with regards to, like I said, kind of the cynical outlook about the notion of having faith in institutions and, and what have you, and why would you even do that? And so on one la- on one hand, you you have to you you sort of understand why people have such an absence of civics education or an absence of the respect of the institutions upon which we're supposed to be or with which we're supposed to be acting. And so, yeah, I think there are people who can do it. The question is how do we get everybody on board to
1: be doing it the same way? Well, um, there are states, and you probably know this better than I, that Uh, require you know even passing an exam in high school and in civics Uh, it seems like a long way to get to something like that but but to have a a course you know it's just so different from state to state from district to district um i read something about how much money we devote per pupil to stem ed education Mm -hmm. um And um, it's $54 per student per year on STEM education. And you know what amount we're spending on civics per student per year? I'd be interested to know. Uh, Five cents. Get out of here. You just made that up. It's a graph. It's right in front of me. $54 versus five cents. Um, This is the Center for Strategic and International Studies supported by the Annenberg Public Policy Center. Uh, that's an actual statistic, meaning people are much more apt to put money to, to STEM than civics. That's a real simple finding, but but that five cents, <laughs> it's not going to go very far, I don't think. Well, you think about then what is the kind
0: of the effect of that, and that is according to the organization uh, for which uh, Miss. Sotomayor was speaking um, saying that 30% of Americans within the younger demographics say that they could, you know, dem- democracy was not required for a well-run society or something Whoa. to that effect, where no, no, democracy was not needed. And so, if that's true, which 30% seems like a lot, but I certainly agree it's probably more now than it has been in oh, previous yeah. years, the question is, then how do you structure this kind of class? And I think the danger is and I think what people are going to be looking at the most is one thing that you brought up. And that's the notion of bias. But you cannot counter cynicism with kind of like some sort of rah-rah sort of approach. Right. I mean, I, I think there has to be a line where you say that, listen, these institutions were created on some of the highest, noblest ideas that have ever been put together by a group of individuals in the history of man. And we constantly fall short of the ideals behind these institutions, these processes, or what have you. So the goal should not be necessarily to teach kids that this is the greatest system in the world, although Churchill said, it's the greatest system, it's the worst system, except for all the other systems that have ever been tried. But, (laughs) but, uh, well, yeah, Um, it's a funny guy. But I think the, I think the notion here is that this thing is, uh, this thing is only as imperfect as the people who run it and the people who engage with it. And there has to be some sort of acceptance of the idea that these are indeed noble institutions Again, it, it people shoot themselves in the foot all the time because they gauge an institution by the people who operate it. Yeah,
1: particularly and, right now. Yeah, particularly
0: know. right now. You know, so uh, the Congress has probably you know you keep thinking that the Congress's uh, approval rating could not get lower, but it gets
1: lower all the time. Well, and but the funny thing is, it's just a news cycle, and news cycles go away. And and you're right, they did resolve. Uh, an issue and for for better or for worse they 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 weren't making policy speeches that much they were talking just about you know procedural matters and who they're voting for but at least people got to see some you know and and i was hoping that a lot of people would watch just to watch the you know the congress people walking around talking to each other in, in between and they were doing just what you said that that messy work but um you know they are doing you know what? To some extent, the the ideal they're having those conversations It's just not as fun anymore because we don't have Ronald Reagan making smart remarks and, and <laughs> reaching across the aisle having cock, cocktails with his pal <clears throat> on the other side of the aisle.
0: Well, one of the things I think that people did get from it, and it's interesting that you brought up that notion of kind of a relaxed bipartisanship, is that you know one thing that people saw is they saw everyone in the House. Right. I mean, the people were there. I mean, yeah. it, you know, of late over the past few years, for various reasons, not least of which is COVID, you know, the excuse has been made, well, I'm going to vote for my office or yeah. well, I'm going to vote for, I'm going to vote from, you know, wherever. But they're, they've not been there. And over the past several days, we've had the entire Congress there. And then I don't know if you saw it, but there was this amazing moment. And I don't, and I didn't follow up. I don't know what was said, but it seemed like a very congenial, kind of relaxed moment. Where you had these two firebrands from both parties just kind of sitting and talking, and you know smiles were exchanged, and it's kind of yeah. this relaxed posturing. And
1: I saw it. I saw it.
0: And the thing I was struck by is that no one really—I mean, people took notice of it, but they didn't think about what it meant, and they didn't think about what it signified, and they certainly did not think about it in terms of what used to be. When you talk about. How and of course every time people bring up bipartisanship of an earlier age, people bring up Tip O'Neill, bring you know the the Speaker of the House for the right. Democrats in the early '80s. You know, people bring up uh, you know these various personalities that were known for not treating the other side as if there was some sort of leper, but rather someone with whom you could work with, compromise, or what have you. I think they in this. Little snippet in that photo, in that short video, there are lessons to be taught.
1: So, um, going back to the the money idea, there, there certainly are people interested in funding funding civics education. Uh, there are lots of, lots of groups who are willing to do that. Um, it, is it something that you know we're talking about in in traditional public schools now, publicly funded schools? Uh, is, is this something that, that could gain traction um, at a broad level? You know, something, I mean, you have a pretty big vision for, you know, potentially doing this and making a difference, but is it uh, actionable?
0: I think it's actionable, and it, but it has to be done, and it has to be led at the local level, and it has to be done and, and led by people that others trust. As far as being objective, as far as minimizing the bias. I say minimizing, we all have biases. We all have we all have various theological and political access to grind about one thing or the other. The question is how do we suppress that in order to be able to teach the student so that they can come to their own conclusions? So I think it I think it exists. I think certain communities would be better at it than others. I think there are more, I think there's some communities more divided than others, but I certainly think it is possible. Um, I think one of the things that's going to be a, an obstacle is just the notion of doing it. You know, you you talk about all these different groups that are pushing civics. They, some of them blatantly have their own bias. You know, I think it's funny when you hear people say, well, of course, you know, Yes, you know, one of the things that's that's destroying our political system is that people are are just not listening to other people. And what they really mean is that people are not listening to us, you know. So you have this kind of this this kind of uh, this kind of bias by omission where you're you're not recognizing your own faults. You're only recognizing the faults in the other side. And that's a problem. And I think where those problems are stronger that's where it would be more difficult to get civics education put in, in a way that it's supposed to be. But yeah, I think that, I think it is possible. I think there are communities that are, that are yearning for it. I think what it requires though, and here's the kicker. I think what it requires is it requires the school district to stand its ground. And first of all, they have to believe in it. They have to believe in the people teaching it from the onset. So that once you get into the school year, and once the complaints start rolling in, you can say, listen, we find this as important as a school district, the voters of this community has found this important as a community. This is what we're going with. You don't, you're only seeing one side of the picture. You're probably not even seeing that side clearly. We're staying behind the teacher, we're staying behind the program. That is in mm-hmm. short supply.
1: Absolutely. And." And if we had the flexibility to you know, stop school and, and watch what, you know, what unfolded over the past week, you know having students and having actual conversations about it, um, the problem is you couldn't watch that on one of our national news networks because it's already editorialized and what they say and how they say it and all the comments, you would have to have the raw footage you know, from C SPAN. Right. And, and and just watch. And then you'd have to have a teacher who who knows her or his way around enough to bring it to life.
0: And also who's able to handle the biases coming out of the kiddos, right. who for a lot of times are getting them from their parents or their friends. And to be able to navigate those comments to redirect it towards how those comments might have some problems to it and how the thinking behind it might have some problems to it and to, to be able to talk about it in those terms. And so, yes, I I think, I think there are definitely people who are strong enough and capable enough and professional enough to teach a class like that without bias. Uh, Whether the community is ready for it, who knows?
1: Right. I mean, I will go back to Oregon and uh, my middle school or junior high back then and I do recall that we were in a an election year or the primary season. I think it would have been, uh, you know, in, in the in the mid mid seventies. I think when Jimmy Carter eventually became the president, um, but but we were learning about the candidates and their policies, and and uh, they were, you know, the the conversations were much easier back then. You know, we were just trying to figure out what their policies were, but. In that type of an exercise, you know, today, you know, where you, all, I mean, I think we, you know, you you were given a candidate and you were supposed to research and, and know all of their views and then talk about it and so forth. It seems like we're we are uncomfortable with with something uh, political today, which was a very useful exercise. I mean, during a election season, you know, what what better time to learn it?
0: Well, I think it's not just we are uncomfortable as parents, as community leaders, as teachers, as administrators. But the students are uncomfortable. That's right. So like in the last couple of days, I was teaching about the progressive movement of the first two decades of the 20th century. And I was drawing some comparisons, as you can in the history class, between the the progressive movement of the early 1900s with the current progressive movement. And I was trying to get from the students, you know, their ideas of what they think progressivism is, what kind of issues do they associate with progressives? You know, what kind of individuals do they associate with progressives? And <clears throat> there was, they, there was nothing, there was very little in and on the, on the part of the students, about, excuse me, about, uh, about progressivism. They weren't willing to talk about it. They weren't willing to talk about the issues. They weren't willing to talk about the current climate. And I tried to press, and it just wasn't, it wasn't something that they were willing to do. And, you know, you usually associate teenagers, and teenagers have typically been defined by their willingness to, you know, break through taboos. But the problem is the taboos are so strong at the parental level at the adult level that they're not willing to break through it. You know, now it is certainly possible that some of them didn't respond because they don't know anything, you know, they don't pay attention to politics or what have you. But you know, my classes, even as early as two years ago, were much more vocal. They were much more willing to engage. And so, I'm not blind to the idea that there might be more forces at work that explain why my kids aren't talking, but I think part of it has to do with the fact that they have picked up on the rather incendiary, uh, forbidden and ultimately dangerous uh, task of talking about controversial
1: issues. Well, that's um, yeah, you know, I guess it's not to be, I mean, it's not unexpected with the the idea of the ad hominem attack, you know, that we see in the, in politics, you know, and it's been ramped up so much that a, a kid, you know, puts himself out there even just explaining something, you know, the, the, uh, and I'm not sure that, you know, student to student, they're, they're willing to, it, it's, it would be uncomfortable, you know, to have that. Uh, here's an example. You, you know how every once in a while we call each other on the phone Yes. Okay. Um, if if um, one of my sons or daughters called a friend on the phone, they'd think, what what's wrong? Is there an emergency? Is somebody <laughs> dead? Uh, <laughs> you don't do it. You don't call, ever. Um, what you do is you text. And then if you need to talk out of that, you can. But, but there, there, there's some connection between that and, and the ability to talk about politics or something else. You didn't text first. You know so you yeah, ask them a question and and they think oh gosh now we're just talking we it, they're in a scary position in a way for discourse because they uh, i guess metaphorically need to text first right
0: well i mean certainly i think that has a role to play but that was there also a couple of years ago you know you could you know so to whatever degree it dampered things you know two or three years ago it still does today but it seems to me that there is a greater mutation or muting not mutation is a dumb word muting of the conversation now compared to what we had a couple years ago and you know i and it's difficult to try to encapsulate an entirety of, of of a of a trend into kind of one answer i think that's not possible and it's certainly not doing it justice but it does beg one it does make one wonder just exactly how do you get kids and how do you get adults to talk about it, not just talk about it, but talk about it in a respectful, courteous manner. I talked to all my students the first day, and I know we've discussed this before on this very fine broadcast, uh, is the idea that listen, we're going to talk controversial topics. Um, you may not be comfortable with it, but there's value in trying to do it. But I think as a whole, I think America, Americans have been shook by what Franklin said. When Franklin said, you know, you avoid death and taxes. You have, in essence, you avoid religion and politics. Mm-hmm. And if you talk about it, that's, that's inviting trouble. And so and I think that's one of the reasons why Americans have not had the discourse, the national character of discourse, the way you see in other places, the way you see in France, the way you see in Germany. And what have you? And I think it's, uh, I think
1: it's, uh, we're poor for it. Um, the idea of being civil, talking about civics and civility, um, it you know, that, that's a whole different area. But but I I think that in in a way, civics should be the playground for those discussions. And and I agree, people in their personal lives should talk less about. Politics and talk about other things, and and so there was something in a way positive about that because we we didn't first look at somebody's political uh, leanings when we had a conversation uh, together.
0: Now it um, determines everything. It determines where you can go shopping.
1: Oh yeah, and I, know, I
0: know I know people who won't go someplace. Yeah, because the owner of a store is a conservative or the owner of a store is a liberal, and. I don't care if he's a Satanist. If he has the best stuff in town, I'm going to go buy whatever I need to buy there. I mean, it seems asinine.
1: That's a great quote that we can use to promote our podcast.
0: Um, <laughs> I don't Ross care if Miller. he's a Satanist.
1: <laughs> but I,
0: I just think, I, I, just I don't understand the thinking that goes into that kind of mindset. And I don't understand. That's an American you're talking about. Why would you through your own actions and perhaps your actions to convince others to do the same, why you would encourage the financial failings of a fellow American simply because they believe something different than you. It's mind boggling.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's up to you Herr Miller, to, to solve this and and you're responsible for every student that goes through that high school. uh, Everyone. Everyone, they, if they if you see them in the halls, you pull them aside, talk civics, talk talk about government. Um, but it takes a village, right, Herr Miller? I um, will say this,
0: I, and I'll tell you in what areas I have found some success. Okay. On my person, at all times. That means on me at all times. Um, I have a pocket constitution.
1: It's in your on your phone, on your uh, an app
0: no 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 i have a i have a little tiny booklet a pocket constitution written out on paper and i carry it with me at all times
1: <laughs> you do yes um, did that and help it, you when you were dating and saying look and i have a constitution
0: <laughs> wow no, for the I'm, really I'm... smart
1: women it did help but okay. uh no this bit. is impressive so so <laughs> when have you ever pulled that out <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot, so no, I
0: mean, but uh, there's been times when, like, in the middle of a conversation in class yeah. where someone will say something, and I was like, Hold on, let's <laughs> let's check, you know, do the old uh George Michael, the way back sports machine, let's check the videotape, you know, you go to the oh. pocket constitution, and I take it out sure. and I say, Here, kids, this is what you need to have, this is your birthright.
1: These are one? your
0: rights. These are your responsibilities. And I oh tell you, know, the first time I have cause to take it out, I say, here is here is here is your birthright as an American of what you can and what you shouldn't want to do. These are the things that can guide you and protect you, make you informed, make you understanding of the great ideas that founded this country. This is what you need. And I cannot tell you how many students, it's not all of them, obviously, but I cannot tell you how many students will come by my room even after they've matriculated out of my class, and say, "Mr. Miller, I got it." You know, and they will show me their pocket constitution. What? Or, or during the course of the year when I'm teaching them, they'll come up to me. I said, "I have it. I bought it. I got a pocket constitution." You know. Now I, t- I tell them there are times when you take that out, and there's times you don't. You know, if the cop has pulled you over for speeding, that is not the time to take out your pocket constitution (laughs) and begin lecturing the police officer. I said, Or if your parents try to ground you and then you whip out the pocket constitution and explain to them that as an American citizen, that there are obvious shortcomings sometimes. But on the whole, I think we do better if we have simply a better understanding. Now, people will be really quick to tell you they know their rights. They are less certain of their responsibilities. And I think having the pocket constitution gives us a pretty good understanding of both.
1: Well, I'm taking a look at Amazon.com, and for $4, you can get the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, Uh, $4. uh, And we're talking about very little investment. Even within that $0.05 per year per student, we could probably make this work. Um, but, but have you thought about passing them out? And I, I know you're independently wealthy, but that would be a nice gesture. <laughs> our, uh, gov- our, gov- our, gov-
0: our government teachers do it. Seriously? So, yes. They pay for it personally. Yes? Huh? No. Well, I, we pay, I paid for it as a department. So while I was the department chair, I'd yeah. have the I'd give funds to the government teachers so that they could buy pocket constitutions for all their students to carry around with them. You know, and so. Um, wow. Well, because I I think it's that essential, and, and I think you know you can get a pocket constitution from Barnes and Noble for like one buck. Oh, if you add buck. then the Declaration of Independence. It wouldn't yeah. be a bad idea to add a pocket version of the uh, or, uh, Federalist Papers. Federalist you know, Papers, yes, uh, screw tape letters. No, 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 letters? <laughs> 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 the Federalist Papers is one of the most complete, exhaustive, thorough explanations of a democratic society, the principles that guide it and the reasons for it that you'll find anywhere in the world. And we, I mean, you, you look at our constitution. I mean, the fact that we could have a pocket constitution is unique. You look at the groom gazettes, you look at other kinds of uh, those, the German constitution, you look at other different constitutions and those things could kill people. If you threw it at them, they're that big, <laughs> but we have something that's so concise. It is so perfectly phrased, and it matches the times. You know, everyone calls it, you know, everyone says that the Constitution is outdated. That's ludicrous. Uh, that's someone who does not understand the Constitution. But there's so much there that students can benefit from.
1: Well, finally, Herr Miller, we, we always tout that we have solutions, and now we, we come to one about this pocket constitution it's like you go to a hotel and there was a time you would find a bible in the drawer there from the the gideons is that yes. yeah yeah and
0: um who knows before gideons maybe there was uh, the pocket constitution I don't that's know. what i'm
1: saying just drop it in there um but the but it could it, what a great thing for graduation and maybe i'm sure some people some schools do this where you hand the diploma and you hand the constitution it's symbolic
0: it, it's, it's, a, it's symbolic. Uh, and certainly in absence of a dedicated civics class, it can be a gateway by which students can learn more about what was meant by our government and what was meant by what this country was supposed to be. And maybe that would be enough until we can get our act together and create something that is sustainable, create something that is inspiring, uh, without being, uh, you know, Pollyanna Mm -hmm. that gives us the reason why our government and the structure of that government is special.
1: Well, that's a real high note, Herr Miller, and it's better mm-hmm. than a, you know, a gamification version of it online. Indeed. You know, yeah, so it, it fits everything in the old school. we've We've come to the pinnacle of our <laughs> conversation and, and the simplicity of your idea. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it fits uh, because we're simple men. Indeed. Uh, simple men, food, football,
0: or, er, you know, so we're good. So, are you, so the question is, are you watching TCU and Michigan, not Michigan, I'm sorry, TCU and Georgia tomorrow?
1: TCU, or TCU already banished Michigan in one of the greatest games yeah. in college football history. Um, yeah, I'll be watching it, um, on television. That's a, that's a big deal. Or a little TCU. A little TCU, our little uh, little university right down the road from us. Um, and not even a headline in the local paper. Uh, <laughs> not, they, I'm sure they, they get their press, but it just seems like we have a national nationally prominent school that's been great for a long time and not a lot of noise. I think we have the Dallas Cowboys that make a lot of noise, and they're not typically that good, but here's TCU who is.
0: And I don't think people understand just how shocking this is. I think if you're just a casual football fan, I, I don't think you understand the significance of TCU being in the national championship game.
1: Right. There's so, never there's never been anybody except for maybe six schools in that championship, you know. Yeah, you know, the
0: recent up. incarnation
1: of the championship. Right, yes. Right. Um last but,
0: time TCU was in it was in nineteen thirty
1: eight. Really? There you go. Okay. Chew on that for a little bit. Did they lose to Oregon or something? Uh, I, don't,
0: I don't remember who they beat, but they won.
1: Oh, did they? They
0: won in 36, and they won in 38. Is, is that in your pocket constitution? Does it give you those stats? Well, no, it's just, uh, it's just an add-on that I kind of tuck into the back <laughs> of the pocket constitution. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Now we're back. We, we're
0: nah. at a high level. This is what we're really about. We, I'm crashing down. I don't want this. So, All right, well. Uh, until then, and go frogs, and um, I will see you soon, and I hope continued uh, health for you, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Uh,
1: Doctor Herr Miller, and uh, enjoy, and auf her up.